All right. So I want to talk about a time to sing. And now, how can I do this? Many of us are aware, I know not everyone is, of what occurs in Luke's account, uh, the uh, story of Zechariah and the birth of John. And this, again, using this as a, as a way of both weaving in Christmas and then beginning for the new year. It is a naturally connected part of the Christmas story. The birth of John, his miraculous birth, is intertwined with the birth of Jesus. He is the one that will ultimately prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. He is the one who is given that assignment. He is the forerunner, the prophet of the Most High, as he sometimes is called. Having said that, um, his birth and the, the way that it occurs is remarkable. And it has so much silence and song. That's a theme, you know, of the opening movements of, the, of God, both in relation to Mary and, and to some degree Joseph, and certainly with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Silence and song, the new things God wants to do in us. Now remember, Zechariah was a priest. He was married to a woman named Elizabeth. At the time that we're told, they were older, um, advanced in years. Now that probably means in their day, they were probably what we might call in the older part of midlife or somewhere in that range, in the middle of it. They had um, no children in an era and in a culture that is somewhat dissimilar to ours in this regard, that in their day to not have any children would have been almost like a, a stigma. And I mean that in the sense that people, even well-meaning people who would have loved them would have saw that maybe in some way, what did you do to get this kind of a, almost like a subtle curse in your life? Because children were regarded particularly in their day, as treasure. I still consider that to be the case, but in their day, it had everything to do with, it was like they were your wealth. In, a, in an, urb, an urban culture, maybe is harder to appreciate, but in a rural culture, it's maybe more understandable because they would work the fields with you. They would work the family business with you. Uh, they were part of a blessing for your years. If you lived long, a long life, they were your security. That was part of your... Your, there was no government programs. No, it wasn't like there no assistance was coming. You, the children meant a lot. Family and children meant so much. And to have no children um, could have been really painful. It was. Just it is. It can still be, and it was for them. But what we talked about is how they had not allowed that to corrupt their spirit or their love for God. The, the disappointed, unanswered prayer of their youth that had never come to pass had not been allowed to corrupt their soul. We're told that they were good and godly, and, and, and they, were, they were genuinely uh, lovers of God, very committed in their faith to the Lord. There was a vibrancy to their life with God, and they had love for people, and they had been, been together in this. And they made that... Anyway, Zechariah... Remember we talked about it? Zechariah is much older. He's coming to serve in Jerusalem. He leaves his home in the Judean hills, comes to Jerusalem to do his service. He's going to serve in the temple, but on that particular day that we've been talking about, he's, his number is called. A lot it falls in his direction, and for the one time in his life, he's given the opportunity to minister in what was called the holy place of the temple. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. There would have been nobody in that room. We're told that what happens when he's in there, remember we went over it last week, how when he was at the altar of the incense offering up prayers for his people, the, 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 the greatest thing he probably would ever do in his life the high, for him, the highest pinnacle of a career was being in this moment to represent the people before the Lord. It would never happen again in his life. 
He had given up on the idea that it may even happen ever, but it was happening. As that's happening, we're told that to the right of the altar, so depending on whether it's his right or the right of the altar, it's left for our imagination to, to try to understand, but we're given a very clear distinctive that there was this figure to the side who calls his name in the middle of the, when he's starting to pr pray. And that figure calls his name, Zechariah. And he's caught off guard. He's shocked. He's stunned, remember? And they have this conversation. And, and by the time it's done, this, what we know is, is an angel, um, a, heavenly, a heavenly being of some type of spirit being embodied, is having a conversation in Zechariah and says to Zechariah, you, God is about to bless you in a way that you could not have anticipated. You, are going, you and your wife, Elizabeth, are going to have a son, and you are to name him John. He is going to prepare the way. This is good news for you. He's going to prepare the way for Messiah. I mean, that's the it's all this amazing exchange that occurs. Zechariah's in, initial reaction is, I don't know who you are. I'm scared to death right now, but um, I don't believe you. I'm going to need a little bit more than this. I need a sign. And the implication is that you'll get, you, you want more than this? Okay, I'm going to give you a sign. And Zechariah in that moment is struck with silence. He, he, he loses his ability to speak. What we also know from later on in the chapter is it seems that he also loses his ability to hear. He becomes in that moment as an expression of his disbelief, in a sense, enclosed in silence. He finishes, he walks out unable to speak. He can only write, it would seem, or make signs, like to try to tell people what had happened. He finishes out that week of service in silence. He makes the journey down the road, walking in silence. He reunites with his wife and the family and the friends in the community, in the village, in the Judean high country, in silence. That engagement, though, and I am, again, trying to, in my mind's, our mind's eye, process through all the things that would have been going through his mind about what, the, what this person had said to him, about his wrestling with the, God's ability to even do it, about now what was clearly something that had been brought on him, his inability to speak, his, he's deaf, he's dumb, he can't, he can't talk. Um, he's pondering everything. He's going to, how am I going to explain this? He does explain it. Um, they both share in this, and eventually she becomes pregnant. And, and as she afterwards starts to show, and it says that for those nine months, Zechariah cannot talk, and he can't hear, right? He's just silent. She, for the next five months, she sequesters herself at the, five, the, end, the final five months of her pregnancy. They're sort of isolated from community until the time of the delivery of the child the son that they've been told they will have and now believe they will have. Now, that brings us to um, Luke 1. And you can follow along in the handout there or in your Bible, uh, Bible app if you have that as well. Either, anything works that you can follow along in the scripture. It says now, look what it says. It says, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they came together and they rejoiced with her. It's a miracle. God has blessed you. God has opened up your womb. Now, th they have been looking forward to that moment, but perhaps Zechariah had also been looking forward to that day for an additional reason. 
Another reason why he could rejoice, because in his mind, he remembered that that figure, that man in the temple that had appeared, that he's now beginning to think was indeed an angel of God, um, had said that until the, until the day these things take place, and if he's thinking about that, he's going, okay, that means until the day that these things take place. Well, the son's about to be born. My I'm going to get my voice back. I'm going to be. I'm going to. I'm going to get out of this silence that I'm in. Right. Um, I wonder if if after the excitement of the birth of the baby boy, uh, Zechariah wondered, is this the time when I'm going to be given back my capacities? But but nothing changed. So the baby's born. <laughs> He's happy. Nothing. Nothing. Maybe he tells Elizabeth, I said after, said after those things. Elizabeth says, I don't know. I don't know. But seven days of a different kind of silence, right? An anxiousness sits on him. Zip over to verse 59. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And this, watch what happens. This is awesome. I love this. They came to, to circumcise the child. They were going to circumcise the boy and give him his name. That's what they did. That was the custom. The eighth day. The eighth day, the boy was circumcised. And he'd be given his name. It went all the way back to Genesis, to the book of Genesis. And whole, Genesis 17, when God has this interaction with Abram, changed his name from Abraham, Abram to Abraham. Uh, there's a circumcision, a covenant that takes place that he's talked, that is, all of that is connected to this moment. And since that time, you know, on the eighth day, the baby boy would be, would be circumcised and given their name. And the eighth day was, was, you know, I'm not trying to go overboard on this, but eight in the Bible is the number of new beginning. Seven, the number of completion. On the seventh day, it's why, and that's why God calls us to give him the one in seven, Right? The Sabbath, honor it. A t uh, honoring, remember that we're not only created for work alone um, or the pursuit of things other than God, but we are to honor God in our lives, the one in seven. But on the eighth day, it marks a new beginning, the beginning of a new week. So that eighth day was, was spoke of something new that God was doing. And if you think about it, in a way, the silence itself was indicative of what had happened. And then we're going to go a little deeper here, but from a biblical standpoint... There had been no prophetic word for 400 years. You read the Older Testament, and it ends with all these prophets. The last one, Malachi. There had been a gap between the last prophet in Israel, the prophetic voice. The prophet would deliver the word of God to the people. It was a generational word that was often given. There had been silence for 400 years. Nothing. And what we are seeing here, in a lot of ways, Zechariah's silence was mirroring the silence. But, but his, his song would ultimately be like, like the birth of John was meant to be the prelude to the breaking down of the silence of God and the coming in of a new word, the song of the Lord, the song of love, for God so loved this world that he gave his son. In other words, John would pick up after that gap of silence and prepare the way for Jesus, who would be God's song to us. His ultimate word. So all this has a lot of, there's a lot of movement. But listen, it says, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called Zechariah after his father. 
they, they had collectively decided and almost assumed that he would be named Zechariah. Now, we don't do this as much today, but it does happen in some cases where a father or a mother, um, a child will be named after their father or their mother. And there they, their day, it was commonplace. So your firstborn son, if it was Zechariah, he's going to be called Zechariah. We might say Zechariah Jr., right? So he's going to get called Zechariah as well. Everybody's assuming, oh, you're going to name him Zechariah, right? Just like his dad, Zechariah. And they, and they bring that up. And they were caught off guard when they were met with Elizabeth's swift corrective. Because as soon as they had said, and they're, imagine the room, it's filled with people who care about them, family members, friends, people of the community, there to celebrate the, the circumcision and the naming of the miracle boy. And we're all here with you. And of course, you're going to name him as is the custom. You're going to name him after his father, right? Zechariah. And Elizabeth says, no, he will not be named Zechariah. We are going to call, he will be called John. His name will be John. And the, and which means the Lord has shown favor. God is gracious. But that was the name. See, she knew. She knew because Zechariah had clearly communicated to her, I was told, right? He had written it down, no doubt about it. His name is going to be, he, I was told that when he was born, he was to be called John, right? He couldn't say it, but he wrote it. They communicated. So she answers for them and says, his name will be John. And they all look at each other like, what? Why John? Why John? And then look at verse, the reason we know it, it to see again, our it doesn't have the same impact for us today as it would have for them. Because in their day, if you didn't name it after the, the son after the father, then at least you were going to name it after someone in the family line. Right? You want to honor your ancestors. You want to honor the, the, the family. And so in their mind, they're going, okay, well, if it's not going to be John, why John? No one in the whole family clan is named John. That's crazy. If you're not going to name him Zechariah, then at least you should name him after someone who's in the family. Elizabeth, we're going to go over your head right now. So they thought. They try to bypass her. They try to bypass her. And they make their appeal to the man who can't talk and can't hear. But they say, and I imagine they, it says they made signs, they wrote it out. She's Right? His name needs to be John, not John. Zechariah. His name needs to be Zechariah. You. Is it not her? (laughs) (laughs) It's like that name seems so inappropriate. And and they said to her, none of your relatives is called by that name. Uh, And they made signs to his father, verse 62, inquiring. That's why we believe he was deaf. Otherwise, they would have just said it, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And again, it appears he couldn't talk. So then what does he do? He, he, look what it says here. He asked for a writing tablet. I didn't have this pen, but it was close to it. <laughs> Ah! 
And at that moment, it says something amazing happened. Another birth occurs. Because as soon as he, sa- he, he shares, name, boom, he breaks out in praise. All of a sudden, he can feel something moving in him, like the power of God surging through his body. It says, well, now he can speak, and he starts, he, can, he just starts praising God in the middle of this whole thing. He says, as soon as that, his name is John, is affirmed, boom, he breaks out in praise. Oh, God, his name is John. Oh, God, I bless your name. Oh, I mean, this is an amazing moment. They're stunned. Everybody's stunned. They can't process it all. It's happened so fast. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? His name is John. That's what's going on. Yeah, (laughs) that's what's going on. His name is John. And we confess it as the promise was given to us. That life is God's life. And then he breaks out in a prophetic word. The Lord's power come upon him and he begins to speak in poetry and song. Right? And immediately it says his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke blessing unto God. He started blessing God. I think he was crying. I think he was praising God. I think he was moving nine months in a different kind of birth. Elizabeth gave birth to a son, John, and he gave birth to something as well. Out of his unbelief had come faith and he was confessing it out and it was a birth of a new thing in God and fear came over all the neighbors. The holy reverence came over all their neighbors. All these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and everybody who heard about them laid them up in their hearts, thought about what does this mean? Who is this child? What has God done? What is this boy supposed to do? What is the implications in it? Because it says the hand of the Lord was with him. And verse 67, and his father Zechariah, I love this, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And this is what he's prophesied, he prophesies. And it's sometimes called in the history of the church, the Benedictus. Right? The blessed. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, and I think he has John in his hands, you, child, shall be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord and you will prepare his ways. It was a confession of everything that he had been told. It was a powerful moment. Pick back up in the hand out there and it says in you child, verse 76, shall be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord. And look how beautiful this description is. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. I love that the tender mercies of God whereby the day spring, the sunrise, shall visit us from on high. You see what God is saying? He's prophesying out. The tender mercy of God has caused a new day to come upon us. The sun is rising. 
The sun is rising, a new day is beginning. Ah, oh, thank you for your tender mercies, O God. It's going to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Death will not rule. By the time God is done, the light will shine and the way will be known, right? To guide our feet in the way of peace, peace with God, peace with others, peace with ourselves. All this through him that is going to be born. And you, my son, are going to bring him in. You're going to welcome his way. That's what God is doing. Verse 80 and the child grew and became strong in the spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. There a lot is in there, a lot of years in there. Now, what we pick up next week, Lord willing, for the next three weeks for sure, I will, when we, we have a new series we're calling All In. And I'm going to focus, we are going to focus on the ministry of John and how he begins that ministry and starts the, the purpose for which he was born. It's going to be a way of engaging this idea of committing our hearts to God. But as we push into this new year, and this is the goal that I have for the few minutes that we have left, just laying a couple of things out, again, to help us move in well. So the first thing I want to suggest, and just put it up there, is we need to believe God for new possibilities, new dimensions of life, the birthing of breakthrough, Remember, Zechariah's struggle was with embracing the word of God that said, I want to give you a new, a new life, right? For some, bearing, some of us, it'll be like bearing children in our old age, in our middle years, our advanced years. And we thought everything is done. No, new life, new life. It's time to grow. It's time to deepen, time to awaken. You know what they had to learn? They had... They had they had, to, they had to be open to acquiring new skills and learning new ways. They had never been parents before. They assumed that that was never going to happen to them. And here they are at a point in life where it shouldn't have happened, and now they were having to learn everything new. It was new. It was a time to grow. It was a time to expand their way of being together even, the way of thinking of life. Everything about it was about to expand and grow and and this is, I, I, I truly believe for some of us, this is God's will for us. This year, if we will have the word he wants to birth into us, he will bring forth new life at a time when it shouldn't happen and in a way that it shouldn't have happened, but it's happening. And God wants it. Some of us, we, we have to learn to not retire, but to refire. And for those of us who are younger, don't waste your days on things that will never satisfy and only will do damage to us. We do not know the span of our life, but to be given this season of a life is not meant to be squandered, but it's a time to apply yourself to the things of God, to pour your heart into acquiring wisdom and laying up treasure in heaven that will never be taken from you. Invest in the best. The best return on investment ever is following Jesus. It is of eternal consequence. He taught us this. And when we're younger, we get to decide what our priorities are going to be in the midst of, and I was talking to one of my kids. They're, they're older now, but I said, you know, we live in a time of great anxiety. And there's so much things that are toxic out there. It's a great time 
techno technologies flourishing in ways that's been unheard of, changing our lives, changing people's lives all over the globe. But there's more fear, paranoia, anxiety, uncertainty. Bring the peacemaker in. Settle into a priority of life. Follow in the waymaker. You will not lose by honoring God with the days of your youth. You will not lose. You will win. Secondly, cultivate relational unity and spiritual depth at new levels. Now, again, I'm using a general statement. Here's what I'm trying to say. And, and hear me out. If those of you who are not married, um, I don't often talk about that because I realize many of us aren't. But I want to say this. For those, especially of us who are married, uh, who may, like me, have been married maybe even for a long time, right? I know I'm going to date myself, but Cheryl and I, this will be our, our 35th year coming up, right? That's a long time. Uh, no. <laughs> Somebody clapped at that. Okay. okay, okay. Cheryl was clapping, right? I mean, I think that, no, I'm kidding. I, I wasn't saying it for that reason. I was saying it because if we've been, if we have been, and I know not all of us are, but we need to follow the example of Elizabeth and Zechariah and move in spiritual unity. You see what a blessing there is? Look, they stayed in unity when an attempt, it was a well-meaning attempt, but it was an attempt to divide them, right? Right? Like, Elizabeth, what are you going to name him? Are you going to name him Zechariah? No, I'm not. I'm going to name him John. <sighs> an attempt to wedge between them. Well, then we'll go to Zechariah and try to see if we can get that name the way name we want there. It was an attempt. They stayed in spiritual unity. Even they modeled spiritual unity even when the pain of their life and the suffering of their life and the disappointment of their life, we will have those times. And those things will either drive us apart, right? Like a wedge that gets in there and just corrupts it. And then over time, it creates a fissure that over time creates a fracture that divides and walls get put up, hurt gets shared. And the next thing you know, you've got huge separation going on. And that type of thing is what God wants. I look at Zechariah and Elizabeth and I go, wow, they model a spiritual unity. Their, their difficulties and their pains and their struggles brought them together, not pushed them apart. And for some of us whether, who, who aren't, some of us who are, let's focus on strengthening those ties built in Christ, like the string that binds, the threefold cord. For others of us, many of us who are not, let's focus on seeking to be people who pursue spiritual unity in Christ. Let this be a goal of ours to strengthen, listen, to strengthen our godly relationships and friendships to recommit ourselves to groups and friendships that are healthy and life-giving. I'm not saying turning our back on other people. I'm saying being extra attentive at this season in this year to building relationships where we provoke one another, as the scripture says, to godliness. To go we have people who will unintentionally provoke us to ungodliness. It's no, no, I'm not being angry with anyone. We need to have serious, and relationships don't just happen. They're a product of investment. In a culture where everything is done impersonally, or at least a majority of things are, because it just feels right, we have to go against the grain of the tide and still pursue face-to-face -face relationships. That's why coming to church is so important. We're being present together. Speaking of that, in my mind, I think of it like this. And I was trying to think of a phrase. Um, stay with me. Big church, little church, 
daily devotions. Big church, little church, daily devotions. Big church, little church, daily devotions. Big church, coming together in community to worship. Little church, having somewhere in the middle of our week, or at least a few times in the month, a small group that we connect to. Little church. And then having a dailiness. Give us this day, Jesus said, our daily bread. A dailiness to our Christian life. You know what? Instead of turning to one another, just say this with me. Say, I'll say it through. Big church, little church, daily devotions. Let's go. Big church, little church, daily devotions. One more time. Big church, little church, daily devotions. Very important that these pieces are there. You'll stay fit spiritually. The oddity will be that you will not grow, that you will not grow if you simply apply this principle. Last thing. Determined to grow, speaking of that, in fresh new ways. And here's the emphasis point. Sing the songs he has for us to sing. To use the language of scripture that was used to describe John. He, he grew and became strong in the spirit. In the spirit. He grew. Are you in a growth mode? Are we in a growth mode? See, growth mode for the new year. A growth mode. And I wanted to exhort us, and I was thinking, I was praying, I was going back and forth with the team on it. I think our church is, in a, is seeking to exercise faith and be in a growth mode. We're trying to do this under the Lord. We need people to rally together. There's no question about that. But at a personal level, I'm exhorting you, encouraging you to take, take it seriously, the things of God, at the front end of the year. And so one of the things, you know, we've been doing is the... Um, the morning devotions. I know this is meant to be supplemental. I get that. For some people, it's like, oh, this is just a small little thing. But we've been having what we call the rise and shine for the month, for the, basically Advent season. And it's been about a minute, 15 minutes to a minute and 30 seconds. We send the notification to anybody who's downloaded the, the Cornerstone SF app and has the notifications open. All right, you get that every day, a reminder. You check in, pray, use it as part of, well, here's what I, the challenge I would like to make to you in the Lord. Because I've decided that, we decided that we're going to keep it going all the way through January. And so the launch of Reardon and then into, so that we complete the first month by doing something of a commitment to pursue something in the Lord. Again, it's meant to be supplemental. So here's the commitment I, I'm making is that we're going to commit ourselves to doing this and make, sending it out every day for the, for the month of January to start the year out. I want to challenge all of us in the Lord to consistently, daily, add this into your mix. And we spend this together, building in and out of the messages, being open to the promptings of God, being encouraged, being exhorted, affirming ourselves together with a certain degree of unity. And you know, one of the things I found, I'm getting such a lot of positive feedback from all of us sort of feeling like we're being tied together, is that um, it's something that you can do. If something hits you, either send it to somebody else or revisit it. It's so short. Revisit it later on in the day. Pray it through in the middle of the day, maybe later on. Again, for a month, invest big church, little church, daily devotions, and make that a part of it. So that why? Why? So that we can sing the songs that God has for us and sing them out to others. Let's pray. Lord, I want to ask you to bless our time of giving as we finish up here and this closing song. Give us the song. Give us a heart to pursue the song and the new life you want to birth into us. How we are to position ourselves for a new year and a year of growth and a month of growth. We just ask, I ask that you would stir our hearts, Lord, like a holy stir inside of us. I pray for that blessing even now on all of us, all of us in Jesus' name. 
Amen, God. Amen.